This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And Sam and I had several minutes of witty banter, none of which you will hear because someone, who shall remain nameless, but it was me, uh, forgot to push the record button <laughs> at <laughs> which, the start. So, at a, Out of 101 episodes, that's impressive that it's only happened once. You know, <laughs> if if I were in charge of pressing the record button, it would be much worse, and it would be more than two minutes. <laughs> and I just got to say, in my defense, we re- we just finished recording our 100th episode. We had Tom Hendricks and Will Bushman and Drew Brown in, and we talked about kind of how the podcast got started, and you know what we what what our hopes are for it, what we're planning for the future. It's a great episode. If you if you for some reason haven't listened to that yet, please do go back and listen to it. Uh, I think it was a lot of fun, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I had just managed all of that craziness and gotten that recording stored off and gotten this next one set up. And so in my defense, I had been doing a lot of things <laughs> right then. So I'm going to give myself a mulligan here and say, oops. Uh, but we are here with, uh, desiring the kingdom again. This week we come to first Kings chapter 18 and one of what is, I think, one of the most dramatic stories in all of Scripture. You've got, there's a lot of other great climactic events around Scripture, but Elijah and the, and the prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel, I think, has to be pretty close to the top, Sam. Yeah, for sure. For sure. This is one of the greatest confrontations, um, climactic moment, you know, that you can imagine the tension of this moment where Elijah all by himself, you know, we talked about one in a previous episode how he's almost like a gunslinger feel to him. You know, it's him against the world, it feels like, you know, with, with Yahweh, his God at his back. And, and here comes this great moment. It, it, I would put this, you know, up there with the Red Sea, with, you know, the, the, the greatest, biggest, most dramatic showdowns in all of Scripture. This is right up there. So Elijah is is living with the widow at Zarephath, and which is in Sidon, which is like home territory to Jezebel's dad, Eth Baal. Mm-hmm. What a great name, man yeah. of Baal, um, who's the king in that region. And and it says then that after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, "Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth." And I tell you, Sam, that if I was Elijah. And I got that message from God. I would be afraid because <laughs> yeah. I would be thinking, I'm going to go stand in front of Ahab and there, and I know these people are probably pretty close to starving by now because the water's mm-hmm. been cut off. I'm thinking they're just going to cut my head off. Yeah. So if you're Elijah, the only way that you, you, you just have to have faith in the Lord and the Lord doesn't promise Elijah that his head won't be cut off. That's a good point. You know, he just says, go show yourself to Ahab and I'll send rain upon the earth. And the next line is, so Elijah went to show himself to Ahab with just unflinching obedience. And this, I mean, Elijah's faith is so incredible. But just to give kind of backstory on what's going on, and in 1 Kings 17, you've got Israel that has the northern kingdom, the ten northern tribes that have gone from worshiping golden calves and having this kind of fusion of different religions that Jeroboam started to now, under Ahab, King Ahab, and Queen Jezebel, they've thrown off anything associated with Yahweh, and now they're calling the people to worship these pagan gods, Baal and Asherah. So God sends Elijah to confront Ahab, and he says, hey, you know, Baal is this storm god. You think, you know, you, you want all the people to worship him. Well, let me tell you, if he's the storm god, my god Yahweh says that there's going to be no rain in all the land until my word and then Elijah runs off and he's been in hiding for three years now. And you've got to imagine massive, massive famine begins to set in. All the crops are dying. People's livestock are in jeopardy because there's no grass. There's no hay. There's no no food for the crops to eat, no food for the people to eat. Everybody is in – I mean we've just come through a year of intense – you know, we'd say intense – but nothing like this would have been for for the kingdom of Israel. 
And everybody knows that Elijah is the one behind it. And so the whole nation <laughs> is looking for this guy, wanting him to say that word so that rain will come again. Yeah. And now God says, okay, go show yourself to the king. <laughs> you know, you're, you're Israel's most wanted man. Yeah. Go, go to the king's palace and show yourself to him. <laughs> So it tells us in verse 2, it does say that, in fact, in verse 2, where it says, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. So Obadiah was kind of like his second in command or the prime minister Mm -hmm. underneath the king or something like that. Mm -hmm. And what we're told about Obadiah, it says, Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So Obadiah, a worshiper of Yahweh who protected at least some of the prophets of God. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Well, Obadiah is called the head of the house, like the he was over the household, which is the same kind of position that Joseph had, you know, second in command, prime minister is a good way of putting it, like you said. And it's interesting to think because it says Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And we're told Jezebel has, has begun killing all the prophets of the Lord to the point where Obadiah has to hide them to spare their lives. Why do you suppose that Obadiah wasn't killed? Do you have any thoughts on that? I, you know, I I wonder whether he did it. Se- Part of it is I wonder whether he did it secretly. Although it doesn't seem so because he says later to Elijah, "Have you not heard that mm-hmm. how he did that?" You know, I don't know. Maybe Jezebel's power was not quite as absolute. You know, as mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Why do you think she didn't kill Obadiah? So the first time I read it, I was thinking through that Obadiah was, you know, kind of keeping his faith secret so that he could use, you know, almost being slightly deceptive so that he could take care and protect these prophets. Right. Um, And then this morning I was reading on it and one of the commentators said that, no, in fact, Obadiah may have been overtly a believer but he was so valuable to Ahab and Jezebel. He was honest. He had integrity. You know, he he did what you would expect a man of God to do, and that he was so valuable in that number two role that they tolerated his faith, which I thought was interesting. Um, an interesting way to look at it. It's kind of like you know Joseph shuns all of the the Egyptian stuff, um, and he's he's overtly you know talking about the power of Yahweh and yet Pharaoh's like but you're so valuable to my reign I will allow you the number 2 position mm-hmm. and so Obadiah is either one of those two things and it doesn't make it clear but it's interesting to it's it's fun to kind of ponder which who is he you it, know it's true how does he remain alive if they're killing all the prophets yeah i actually when i was doing the study notes for this for this particular chapter that was last week's study notes i mentioned the pharaoh and joseph but then i also talked about daniel with nebuchadnezzar because mm-hmm. i thought that was another parallel i mean mm-hmm. um daniel obviously i mean nebuchadnezzar was really upset when it was pretty clear that he'd been duped into putting Daniel into a position where he was going to have to take action against Daniel because Daniel refused mm-hmm. to stop praying to his God. Um, and I, I talked also then about Esther, just that idea of people that were put into prominent places to help God accomplish his plan. But if Elijah had just sort of popped up in front of Ahab uh, and appeared out of nowhere after all this time with, with the famine and the drought being so severe, Ahab might have had some reflexive reaction. So God put Obadiah in a place of authority and respect with Ahab, knowing that he would then have Elijah encounter – and again, I guess, sorry, folks, spoiler alerts, he's going to encounter Elijah first before Ahab does. It was just – Obadiah was there to accomplish God's print, his mm-hmm. purpose at this point to maybe be a bit of a buffer to help Ahab have control of his emotions before he got in, you know, actually encountered Elijah. I think that God has at times allowed people to be put into prominent, powerful positions of influence to accomplish his plans. And I think that Obadiah is a great example of that, which I guess we should mention. I mm-hmm. did mention in the study notes. It is not Obadiah the prophet. It's a different Obadiah. Obadiah is a kind of a common name in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it Ob- literally means servant of Yahweh. And Does so it? Okay. It's a very popular name. Yeah. Okay. Obed is servant and Yah is the abbreviation for Yahweh. So Abed, Yah, Obadiah. So at any rate, Ahab comes to Obadiah 
And he says to him, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Uh, I did think that was kind of interesting. It's like, eh, don't worry about the people. Let's king. make sure the horses live. <laughs> I don't want any of my, I don't want any of my livestock to drop over. <laughs> people, whatever. Yeah, fine. Find, mules, find some crops for the animals. You know, mules are hard to replace. People, eh, they make new people all the time. <laughs> Uh, so verse six, so they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, is it you, my lord, Elijah? Um, I thought that was a kind of interesting thing. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a pretty extreme show of respect for Elijah. Mm-hmm. Um, is, was that common, do you think, of prophets? Do you think that people who were, who, you know, who feared the Lord, would they, would they react that way to prophets? Yeah, I don't know. But that's definitely a, a big <laughs> demonstration of respect here. You know, like we would, we would say uh, Adonai is a, is one of the titles that we give to God, you know, and it's not that kind of Lord. He's not attributing divinity to Elijah. But that same idea, Adonai, like it's – this is – I consider you my superior, right. Elijah, is the way that's coming across. And you have to think about the fact that Obadiah, as we just got done saying, was the second in command for the entire kingdom, mm-hmm. right? And here he's falling on his face in front of Elijah. That, to me, was a, a pretty serious show of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says in verse 8, and he, Elijah, answered him, it is I, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And then Obadiah. You know, one of the interesting things from commentaries is when when Obadiah – and you wonder, like, what's the relationship like between Elijah and Obadiah? Because when Obadiah comes, he falls on his face and says, is it you, my lord Elijah? And Elijah looks back at him and says, it is I. Go tell your lord, which he's talking about Ahab. And so some commentaries think that that was intended as kind of a slight. Like, you come to me and call me lord, but you're serving Ahab. It is I go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. That's interesting. Which is just interesting. Yeah, it is yeah. interesting. It's um, kind of a almost a rebut, it seems. It is. Yeah. It's kinda of like that we were talking about that custom people had of saying, you know, of you know, as the Lord your God lives. It's like I'm mm-hmm. not acknowledging that your Lord is God. I'm saying as the guy you believe in, if you believe he lives, then you should believe what I'm telling you. That kind of, how much do you believe your Lord lives? Great. That this is how much you should believe what I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the downsides, and this is going to be, you know, Elijah is such a an incredible figure of obedience and power. He's a, he's just absolutely amazing. But one of his major flaws is he believes he is the only one in this fight. So, and you're going to see that at the end of this chapter and next chapter where he's like, I and I alone come against you. And so. What is he saying? He's like – when he says that, he's basically saying Obadiah is not for real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls himself a prophet, but I alone am the only one fighting for Yahweh. Right. And so I think that's – I view it as kind of a flaw of Elijah that he looks at Obadiah because he's serving Ahab and he's like, no, no, no. You don't serve Yahweh. Go tell your Lord. It feels dismissive. I don't know if that's intentional or if that I'm even right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the way I read that. And and now comes what I think is, you know, an incredulous response on Obadiah's part. And he, Obadiah, said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? <laughs> and then – and then, but here's what he says. As the Lord your God lives. That's interesting because I think in a way he's throwing down on Elijah saying, if you believe God lives, then you better believe what I'm telling you right now. I think that's interesting because it is a bit of a challenge to, you know, as the Lord your God lives. Do you think your God lives? Fine. Then Mm -hmm. listen to what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. There is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. Uh, You know, Ahab had like literally scoured all the surrounding nations Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking for Elijah. That's, you know, I mean, we talked about last week how Elijah was sent into enemy territory, to the heart of Baal-worshipping territory, being going to Zarephath and Sidon. And, you know, so there he is in the heart of enemy territory, and apparently that's one place that 
Ahab didn't get to, but it does show, <laughs> you know, and I do think that if he showed up and started doing miracles and like, you know, the, the jug of flour and, and jar of oil that didn't run out, um, or jar of flour, jug of oil, like jars and jugs, same thing. Uh, <laughs> um, whether, you know, he did perform that miracle of feeding mm-hmm. them, the widow and her household, and then of raising the widow's son. So I think that there was probably enough of a stir that at some point someone's like, hey, you know that Elijah guy who's been hanging out in Zarephath? It's just pretty good the word didn't work his way back to Elijah, mm-hmm. what I, or to Ahab, rather, is what I'm yeah. getting at. And you also have to, you have to think Ahab is thinking, where's the last place Elijah's going to go? Is in the center of Baal worship, you know. Now that's a good point. Yeah, if you're going to hide somebody, hide him like right under the noses of. Mm-hmm. He would F. never Baal. come here. Right. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's good. That's a, yeah. That's a good thought. That's probably that is a, it's a, probably a very practical thing that God did, saying, you know what, this is a place they're not going to think you would go. <laughs> no. Um, so it says uh, in, in verse 11, well, he gets done saying he takes an oath of these kingdoms, and then in verse 11 he says, and now you say. Go tell your Lord. I'm picturing this being sort of sarcastic. Like, go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. It's like, it's almost like a sitcom. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. Obadiah is really kind of dressing him down here. Uh, I'm picturing some (laughs) indignation. You know, but here you find that Obadiah is no favorite of Ahab. He sees himself as totally expendable under Ahab. Like if I go to Ahab and tell him you're here and he comes here and you're not here, he's going to kill me. Like, yeah, I might be the number two guy, but I'm not precious enough to Ahab to where he won't kill me if he thinks I'm lying to him. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Expendable. That's for sure. Um so verse 13, has it not been told, my Lord, what I, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred of, hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? That, by the way, is an, an awkward wording. I think what it means to say is it was two caves. He's saying I mm-hmm. hid them by fifties in a cave. So mm-hmm. he's, he, it was two caves. Because <laughs> right. when you read that, you're like, what does that mean? Hid them by fifties. They're separated in the cave. Right. By fifties no. in a cave, like it was one cave and I just didn't let the fifties see each other. No, it was, he hid them by fifties in a cave, like first 50 in this cave, next 50 in that cave. So if, if you've, folks, if you were reading along at home and you read that and went, huh? I do think it was two caves. Yeah. Uh, and so God, God used a raven to do this with Elijah, but Obadiah is taking the role of that raven, bringing food and, and, and water to these prophets hidden in the caves, keeping them alive. Yeah. So it's like he sees he sees some kind of a game plan. He is hoping that God will eventually use these prophets that are now in hiding, biding their time for the word of God to to press out and push forward in in the land of Israel. And so yeah. that's Obadiah's heart is how in the world I have to secretively keep these guys alive, this tiny remnant, so that when it's our time we can play offense yeah. and and get out there with the word of God. So Obadiah is a good dude. I like him. Well, and this is the the verse I was alluding to before when we were talking about, you know, did we think that Jezebel knew and just was like Obadiah on the down low? He asks here, has it not been told, my lord? So obviously it was it was something that he did mm-hmm. openly enough that word was going to get around, you know. Um, so it says he puts them by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he will kill me. <laughs> and then Elijah says, and this is interesting again, because remember, it was, you know, Obadiah kind of challenged him a little bit because he started off by saying, as the Lord your God lives. Okay. And Elijah responds with, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. Hmm. And, you know, Elijah now, that's, that's, that's like big language from Elijah. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm, this is, I'm putting God's name down here and saying that because God's told me to come, you know, Elijah, Elijah's not going anywhere because he's doing what God's told him to do. Um, and so he brings in the Lord on his side and says, I will stay right here. And as soon as he said that, Sam, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab. You know, one of the things that I love that Elijah does when, when he's talking about the Lord, one of the things that you'll find in the story of Elijah that he says a lot is he doesn't just say Yahweh, you know, the Lord. He repeatedly says, the Lord of hosts. And that, to Elijah, is a great comfort. 
Um, because what you got to imagine, what Elijah is thinking is, I feel alone. He repeatedly says that I and I only am the prophet out here fighting against Baal. No one else is with me. And so anytime he ever refers to the Lord, he says the Lord of hosts. And what that means is Elijah's imagining not just the Lord, but the Lord who commands the hosts of heaven, all the angels that are at his disposal. And so it's like Elijah's constantly referring to him as the Lord of hosts because Elijah feels alone. That's his weakness. He feels alone. And so he's always imagining that it's the Lord and the countless hosts of heaven who have his back. Yeah. Um, he is not in the minority when he says the Lord of hosts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's him, the Lord, and all the countless hosts and armies of heaven, which is just a cool thought. So one more check mark for the Obadiah is a good dude column is the fact that Obadiah has been protesting, and I think a little indignantly, and as soon as Elijah invokes the name of the Lord of hosts and says, you know, he's basically swearing on God's name, mm-hmm. that settles it. Obadiah doesn't say another word. It says, so mm-hmm. Obadiah went to meet Ahab. I looked at that and I thought, that to me, it's like Obadiah's like, God said it, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm, I'm going to go do what you said. <laughs> it's cool. So it is cool. It's just a sign that that Obadiah said, oh, it's God? No problem. <laughs> if it's you, Elijah, you're a little bit of a flight risk. <laughs> but if you say the Lord of hosts tells me, ah, that's it. When the Lord speaks, I go. And I thought, you know, there's there's two guys here that are that are very different. And yet in that respect, they're very similar. Elijah is a guy that when the Lord speaks, he goes. And Obadiah is a guy that when the Lord speaks, he goes. Um, what if you if you said, "Hey, Mark, what's a great hallmark of like true faith? What? How do I know somebody's faith is strong? Like when they know that what God has told them to do, they do it. Mm-hmm. It's simple, you know. It's like they, they they stop questioning and they're like, "Yep, this is what God wants me to do. I do it." So, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah, and Ahab when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And I, I, again, doing the study notes, I kind of dug into this word troubler. And it's interesting because that word troubler is typically used with respect to someone who causes a calamity by angering deity. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's not just troubler like you're annoying, but it's a, it's troubler like you're going to do something that's going to make the gods angry or make God angry. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was used in, it, it's Hebrew word. It was used in pagan also. You're doing something that angers the gods and we're suffering because of that. So yeah. Ahab is basically, you know, accusing Elijah of being the one that's causing all the trouble. Frankly, I think mm-hmm. Ahab knew what was going on. I don't think Ahab was, yeah, he was a Baal worshiper for convenience, but I get the feeling that Ahab was another one of those guys like Jeroboam who, he kind of knew that God was there, but he mm-hmm. just chose, deliberately chose to turn against the Lord. Yeah. And it, when it talks about all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, it says they eat at Jezebel's table, which I think is an interesting thing. It doesn't say they eat at Ahab's table. So I think she's the one who's more pushing Baal and Asherah, and he's kind of like, oh, whatever, politically, I, I don't care about this religious stuff, but you are the one troubling Israel. Right. And he comes to Elijah – and calls him this, and, and exactly what you just said. The only other time that somebody has called this expression is in First Chronicles chapter two, uh, and it's looking back at at the, back to the book of Joshua and the figure of Achan. And just to give you background on who Achan is, Joshua has led the people into Jericho. They've conquered Jericho, and God gives a warning to the people, and He says, "I don't want you to plunder the city. Don't take any of its treasure. I don't want you touching any of its gold or silver, or its clothing, all these precious artifacts. Leave it alone." And one guy says, "I can't resist," and so he takes treasures and he takes a Babylonian garment and he hides it under his tent. That guy's name is Achan. And then Israel goes on to the next city, Ai, and they go to battle against Ai, and they get defeated. And Joshua's like, whoa, you said you were going to be with me. What's going on? And God comes to Elijah and says, you've got disobedience in your camp. And so Elijah – or I'm sorry, Joshua will put Achan to death, and Achan is referred to as a troubler of Israel. And after Achan is put to death – 
then Joshua and the Israelites have victory again. And so I think maybe that when Ahab comes to Elijah and he invokes that title, there's there's baggage with it, right? What happened when Israel got rid of the troubler of Israel, Achan? Well, as soon as he was killed, they had victory again. Right. And so there's there's a loaded expression with that that is, you know, if I get rid of you, we're good again. Yeah. Um, and Elijah responds and says, no, no, no. It's not me who's the troubler of Israel, but you and your father's house. Um, and so the idea is why one of these needs to be done away with. Right. Ahab saying, Elijah, once we get rid of you, Israel's good again. And yeah. Elijah saying the opposite. Yeah, I, now I feel now I feel slightly proud of myself for coming across that and putting it in last week's study notes. I'm hey, like, there you I, go. I did mention that. It's last good week. find. It is. It's a- you know Aiken was the other troubler, and furthermore, not only did they take Aiken out and stone him, but they burned his remains. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that was that's a serious thing. This to invoke this troubler of Israel is to say that you're essentially causing God to turn against us. Mm-hmm. So but, long as you're around, we're cursed. Yep. That's a pretty, you know, it, it was, it's interesting. So it's not this exchange between them is, is a little bit more serious than comes through in the English because it just doesn't, you know, again, this Hebrew term doesn't translate perfectly yeah. into an English word. It is the word troubler, but the way that it's yeah. being used is heavier than that. It's way more than a troublemaker. Um, so Elijah says, like you said, I've not troubled Israel. You have your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. That's interesting. He does say the Baals plural. Mm-hmm. Was there more than one Baal? So yeah, different titles. So you'd have you know all sorts of, of different Baal manifestations depending on what you were after. Okay. So you had a Baal who was good with the rain and a Baal who was fertility or whatever. It's like just a, different ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so then Elijah throws down the big challenge. He says, now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, this is the last we hear of the 400 prophets of Asherah, though, because the 450 prophets of Baal are the ones that show up to the to the showdown. I, at least the way I read it, I didn't see that the, the prophets of Asherah showed up. Do you figure they just turned tail and ran? <laughs> I don't know. I always picture all of them down there. Really? I do. Okay. All does right. it say just 450 anywhere else? Well, it it, it does. You know, when you read the story, right, it, it, he's talking to the people there and he says, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. No mention of Asherah. Hmm. Then, it, then it says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose the, no mention of Asherah. They're, the, the prophets are moving around, call upon the name of Baal. Oh, Baal, answer us. No mention of Asherah. There's no mention of Asherah anywhere in it. And, you know, I mean, then the whole thing of the, you know, he's, when he takes them down and, and, uh, and kills them, Elijah says to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. No mention of Asherah. Hmm. So this is literally the challenge that he throws down is the last time you hear about the 400 prophets of Asherah in this chapter. And I'm just wondering if like if word got back to them saying, Elijah wants to have a showdown (laughs) between your God and his God. We want you to go to Mount Carmel and get into this thing with him. The prophets of Baal are like, yeah. And the prophets of Asherah are like, you go ahead. We'll be right behind you. <laughs> no, I think they. Sh- I'm, I'm still thinking they show up. Really? Okay. I do. I all do. Because right. because why would Ahab be? They're not See, mentioned again. Is all the I'm question saying. then becomes in this story? Why does why does Ahab not just kill Elijah? Like why why does he obey? Because Elijah's about to, he puts down all these instructions. I want you to get all the tribes and I want everyone to show up at Mount Carmel to have this contest. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One. The promise was Elijah said, it's not going to rain again until my word, right? Right. So Ahab might be thinking, if you really do have power and I kill you, there's no word coming from you. Right. That means we're permanently in jeopardy. But I think, I think also Ahab has lost so much face with his own people politically that he knows something's got to give. And here is a chance that if he really believes in his prophets of Baal, Here's a chance for him to restore his reputation. Uh-huh. And so I think there's something going on here where he's like, finally, something's got to give. At this point, I don't even care if I win or lose, but something's got to give. This can't go on as it is. 
And so I think he, I think he obeys. I think he brings all, all the prophets of Baal and Asherah there. Okay, um, well, that's I, my opinion. Yeah, and 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 I'm not going to. It is interesting, you know, that and I'm not omits it. I'm obviously not convinced enough to be able to argue. <laughs> it's like I think, <laughs> but I I wouldn't, you know, again reading between the lines. I like to think that there's some cowardly prophets here too. The prophets of Asherah were like, yep, 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 yep. We're gonna we're gonna tangle with Yahweh. We'll be right there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You know, that kind of thing. So uh, at any rate, it says, so whatever, whoever he does, it says, so Ahab sent to, to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets, whichever ones, together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, and I love this, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? The, the word that, cause he later he described the prophets of Baal are described as limping. Mm-hmm. And the, the word actually means, um, jerking. It's like a jerky, mm-hmm. hectic movement. You know, it's like a, 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 they're hobbling, leaping in a strange way. And just this, just this picture of saying, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Elijah's not just saying, you're not just, it's not like you're sitting back there going, hmm. I wonder which one I will choose. Elijah's saying, you're jumping back and forth. You're hopping around like a madman between mm-hmm. Yahweh and Baal. So Elijah is, is, is like accusing them not just of being indecisive, but he's accusing them of, of hopping around like idiots, like bouncing back and forth between the two of them. So it's an interesting term. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very, can I say this? It's a very Elijah thing to say. <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things about this word, and I, you know, so many of people that translate these things that are far more brilliant than either one of us, but limping is a good translation, but at the root of that word is pasak, and that goes back to the Hebrew idea of the Passover. Um, and that's the same, same word, the, the same root of what comes with the Passover. Um, and I think that's interesting because where this story is going to go, it, it hints very strongly at what Moses does. We'll see that in a minute. Um, but you have these people and you get the idea of hobbling, like bouncing back yes. and forth. But that's also the root of passing Passover hmm. back in the days of Moses when deliverance came and death struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. But every house that was marked with blood, the spirit of death passed over those houses and did not bring death to them, which is interesting. That is interesting. That's cool. That's a cool That's a cool thing. Um, so the people respond by – well, first of all, Elijah continues his challenge. He says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people, it says, did not answer him a word. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of Israel was just like, do you want to say something to him? I don't know. No, you can. <laughs> Everybody's like just. Boop, that's it. They're not. They're not responding. Uh, and you got to imagine, like Elijah's response to that. I mean, imagine you've shown the courage, and gosh, this would be so hard to be Elijah. You show the courage to get up, and you're hoping for some kind of a response. It'd be like you know a preacher. Can I get an amen? And it's total crickets. Yeah. And you're like, is there anybody out there who still believes? Is there any real prophets? Does anybody love the Lord anymore? And it's just crickets, nothing. Not even these 50 prophets that were in this cave or the 50 prophets are even there. Not even Obadiah is shouting amen at this point. Yeah. Just quiet. Yeah. And what does Elijah say? Your favorite phrase that Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. <laughs> but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Yeah. He sees himself as being the only one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he says this and it's, it's just, it's absurd. And God will correct him and say later on when in the next chapter, God's going to correct him and say, you're not alone. But when you think of a man of God on a mountain who feels utterly forsaken and alone, there's only one person who could make that cry on a mountaintop authentically. Right. And, and that's, that's Jesus. the Lord, yeah. the the one righteous, the one who was perfect, the one who not only had all of humanity turn their back on him, even his closest friends, but cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In mm. that moment where he was drenched in my sin, he became alone and there was no one in his audience that was offering up encouragement or amens. I mean, Elijah senses that he's alone. He's not alone. Yeah. 
our Lord went up a mountain and was utterly alone. Uh, yeah. Utterly alone. So uh, Elijah explains what the challenge is going to be then. He says, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves, which I think is interesting because he's, you know, later on we're going to see how this challenge works out. But Elijah's basically saying, I don't want there to be any accusation that I have given them a trick bull. <laughs> so let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull. Take whichever one they don't want and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, this time they speak up. It is well spoken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is like, this is Baal's home turf. Because it's it's not only do they, you know, you pick the bull, you do however you want, well, you take first pick. But then it's like this is Baal's specialty. Like he's known for carrying the lightning bolt in his hand for yep. Pete's sake. He is he's the storm god. Like if there's anyone who has an advantage in this fight, it's Baal. This is his home turf. I'm giving you every advantage. Let Baal show off. And so now the people are like, Yeah, this is a good deal. It it is well spoken. Yes, yeah. yes. We'll we'll take that. This sounds good to <laughs> us. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, in case you didn't hear me last time, and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. That's the same word. Same word. Same word. They limped Mm -hmm. around the altar they had made. Um, And it doesn't, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that they were like favoring their right leg or something like that. It, It does have this like connotation of being this sort of jerking movement. And mm-hmm. I think that it's uh yeah, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting picture, but I think that word, the, the reason why it's pulling that word Pesach into your mind is it's like, Oh, that's a Passover word. Well, you'll see where that goes in a moment. Okay. Um, and it says, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. <laughs> no, not Elijah. <laughs> Elijah wouldn't mock somebody. <laughs> I, you know, just being that outnumbered and still mocking yeah. the whole nation that's in front of you. You know, let's remember here, Elijah is a hugely important figure. On the mm-hmm. Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus appeared talking to who? Moses and Elijah. Mm-hmm. He's like he's like somebody that Jesus hangs out with. So <laughs> I'm just saying, someday we're going to get to meet Elijah. You know, it'll be us standing there mm-hmm. listening to Elijah tell stories. Um, and I think that's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> this will be a good one. Yeah. So it says, and a new, at, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is musing or, this is my favorite, he is relieving himself <laughs> or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. The, uh, he is relieving himself. That's exactly what you'd think. Ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. Elijah is suggesting that perhaps Baal is off in a nearby cave, taking a number two, as it were. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> these are things that in their beliefs, they actually believed that Baal did, you know, like sitting around pondering and, and having bodily functions or out on a journey. They used to believe sailors that were Baal worshippers believed that Baal went with them in their travels like he's on a journey. Uh, they believe we talked about this in, in the last episode that when the seasons come, it's like Baal has died or he's asleep and there's no rain or storms and he has to be awakened. And so Elijah's basically going to them and he's not making stuff up. He's mocking what they actually believe. Like your God has to poop. <laughs> maybe, maybe your God is distracted by something and he's musing because my God is omniscient. He knows all things. He's not surprised by, by things, but, but your God is distracted with something. So let's give him some time. Maybe he's off musing about something. Maybe he's pooping. Maybe he's on a journey and my God is omnipresent. So he sees exactly what I'm doing and he sees what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking, but your God, you know, his focus is limited. So let's give him some time. Um, or maybe he's asleep and the whole world is going to hell in a handbag because your God's asleep, but my God does not sleep. Yeah. Um, and he's mocking them for like, do you really believe this? This is the God you worship. He does nothing for you. He's weak compared to Yahweh. Is this really what you've reduced yourself to? Yeah. 
And they, it says, verse 28, he says, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Um, that was a pretty common thing for, I think, mm-hmm. in, in pagan worship, that, that there would be blood involved in it somehow. Um, but it is interesting because it, it's not just the, it doesn't just say cut themselves. That, I mean, that actually is like a, like a mutilation. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it, this is like a ritual thing. It's like something that they did regularly. Um, yeah. And, and again, and the ancient tablets that we've, found now in the last century that tell us what Baal worship looked like and all of the the ancient myths and stories, when Baal was temporarily defeated by the god of death, whose name was Maut, he was dead. He was literally dead for a season, and all of the the world didn't have rain and all the crops began. This is what they believed before Elijah, that the crops died and everything else. And then El, who is one of their, their higher gods, who's kind of the father of the gods, goes looking for Baal. And what happens is El is the one who begins this, right? It says that El is looking around saying, where is Baal? Where is the Lord of the earth? Maybe he's perished. And it literally says in their writings that he cut himself. He gashed himself with a stone and then he made incisions. He gashes his cheek and his chin. And it says he harrows the roll of his arm, which is like a rake, and he's just cutting himself. This is their God. He's cutting his arms and his chest and his back, and he's just digging them up, saying, oh, my goodness, Baal is dead. What becomes of the people? And this is before Baal is raised from the dead. But the prophets now are mimicking what El did because they believe, like El, that maybe Baal is asleep. Maybe he is dead. He needs to wake up. Where is he? And so they're doing what their God did, cutting themselves, hmm. bleeding all over the place. Hmm. Hmm. And that's where, like, to stop for a moment, you remember how that word limping is Pasach. It reminds us of the Passover, and it reveals the difference between gods, because what does God do? I'm going to bring you salvation, not by mutilating you, but by re- by mutilating a lamb, it's going to be a substitute who stands in your stead that's going to be sacrificed. It will be the blood of the lamb that gives you relief from death. Mm-hmm. And what does this pagan cult do? No, no, no. It's not the blood of a substitute. I want you, your blood. You're going to sit and you're going to rake yourself and you're going to cut yourself and you're going to mutilate yourself trying to find salvation. And that becomes the difference between the worship of Yahweh and Baal. We mm-hmm. learn that Yahweh so loves his people that he will be mutilated to give us salvation. He will be the one whose body is shredded by us for our salvation. He puts himself in that situation for our salvation where every other religion on the face of the earth essentially tells us, go mutilate yourself, try harder, suffer more, dig in. It's all up to you. And what every every false god that we chase after, every idol leaves us just totally mutilated, ruined in pain, suffering with no hope of salvation that doesn't cost us everything. Hmm. And that's the difference here. You see these prophets chasing after this false god, and it leaves them utterly mutilated. Hmm. And that's what every false god does to us. Even still, it might not be with cuts on our bodies, but it shreds our soul. There is no salvation in all these fake gods like money and power and career. You know, you'll just serve it and serve it and be totally mangled by it. It'll enslave you and it never offers you salvation. Meanwhile, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahweh in the flesh, who says, no, no, no. Let me be the one who's mangled. Let me be the one who suffers the consequence of sin, your sin, so that you can have salvation. It's radically different religions. And mm-hmm. Christianity stands alone in all the religions of the world that has a God that says, no, no, no. Let me be the one who suffers so that you can have safety. Let me be your Passover. Shed my blood. Mm. So the contest does continue here, verse 29, and as midday passed, they raved on, <laughs> which <clears throat> is a – 
that the raving is a, is a word that just means an ecstatic frenzy. So again, mm-hmm. these are not very well disciplined guys. I I have this picture almost of like the Keystone pri- priests, like they're bumping into each other and <laughs> falling down and getting up. By the way, if you don't know the Keystone Cops reference, you're welcome. I'm old. You can Google that and watch some of the old video clips. But they just bump into each other and fall down and that kind of stuff. I'm just it's like a ludicrous thing in my mind. It says they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. The oblation was something that was offered in the evening time. So basically, he's allowed them to go on and on and on and on and on with this foolishness literally all day. It's like mm-hmm. they up to midday and now to the oblation. So we're coming into dusk, the evening time. It says, but there was no voice. No mm-hmm. one answered. No one paid attention. I there wonder, was no one there. This thought just occurred to me, but the very next chapter, God appears to to Elijah, and not to spoil this, but God appears to Elijah on Mount Sinai, and what does he do? He gives all these spectacular, noisy, amazing things, and he's not in any of it, and he comes to Elijah in a still, small voice, and here you have prophets doing what? They're trying to create this amazing, super, you know, cutting themselves, bleeding out, screaming, dancing, raving, doing all these things, and they hear no voice. And then God takes Elijah and does even more amazing things, but then he comes to to Elijah in this whisper. And it's yeah. it's like a contrast there. I think that's intentional. Yeah. God comes in the silence. So uh, then Elijah said to all the people, verse 30, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed, um, which is probably a lot of seed. It's, uh, I don't know. So I got a footnote here. Let me help you with that. A seah, uh, is about 7.3 liters. So that would be 14 liters of seed, which mm-hmm. is enough to plant a lot of stuff. <laughs> so the, the commentaries are either this is a, a smaller trench that, you know, 14 liters isn't a huge bunch guess, of trench. Yeah, I guess But not. if you're casting seed to grow something and you're casting seed and spreading it out, then it would have to be a very massive trench to take on 14 liters. And that's probably what it's communicating. This is a massive trench that would take 14 liters of seed being scattered on it. As a farmer would go through throwing it to each side. Yeah, so, right. yeah, it had to be – yeah, that would be a big difference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it says, and he put the word wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, and I love this, fill four jars with water <laughs> and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said – do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. (laughs) That had to have been, you know, we talk about trying to put ourselves in these situations and imagine what it would be like. I'm just imagining if I'm sitting there watching this happen, I'm thinking, what is he doing? Yeah. You know, it's like, does he want to lose this contest? I mean, Baal didn't show up. All he's got to do is, like, call down one little spark from heaven, and he's, like, killing himself here. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Elijah gives them every advantage, and he takes on disadvantage. Yeah. He disadvantages himself. And this scene, I don't know why, but if you've seen the movie The Three Amigos, you know where (laughs) Chevy Chase is drinking from his canteen? And the time where the other guys are like dehydrating to death, their lips are all parched, and he just takes this abundance and throws it out. I'm imagining all of Israel, who has had no water, watching him just dumping jars. Going, wait, 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 no, I want some of that. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That had to be like the, the symbol of the most extravagant. Oh, you got enough water to drench the altar? Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, imagine the faith, like – it would have been really hard to part with water, especially yeah. during this time. And he's like, eh, do it a third time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fill up the trench. So it says, uh, verse 36, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, again, that's in the evening time, in, in dusk time, you know, beginning close to nighttime here. Um, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And that, I want to stop for a second and say, that is an important statement right there, Mm -hmm. because Elijah really expected that this was going to turn the people's hearts back to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because there's a there's a you know as this story extends and it will actually be in next week's episode in chapter 19 that we'll be talking about this but Elijah behaves in a way that you're like wow this seems like an extreme reaction but I keep going back to this is that Elijah expected the outcome of this to be mm-hmm. revival revival and and it didn't really happen that way Mm-mm. you know so it's- that's it's, the crushing disappointment. He expected revival. Yeah. yeah, all that suffering, the years, the 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 patiently biding your time, waiting with this, you know, hey, I'm going to bring the rain. I'm going to show them who Yahweh is, and he's going to do that. And it just kind of peters out. It yeah. doesn't take hold. Verse 38 tells us what happened. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones <laughs> and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. (laughs) So when the Lord sends down fire, he does not send down just a small amount of fire. I love that it consumes the stones. Like, that's just cool. Well, and I I found myself wondering, and I was going to ask you this, and there probably isn't anything to it, but the stones are representing Israel, Mm -hmm. right? And yes, this is is absolutely intentional. This is a big deal, actually. Because it licks up the stones. Like, he destroyed the stones that were Mm -hmm. representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So what does that mean? So if you go to Exodus 24, um, there's a story, and this is when Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. It's when he is receiving the law. He's, it's, this is basically the charter of Israel going forward, the birth of Israel as a nation. Moses is receiving the law. And listen to the story of how it goes. I'm just going to hop around. So in verse 2, it says, Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. Well, gee, that sounds familiar. And so Moses came and told all the people all the words of the Lord and the rules. And it says he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars or 12 stones according to the 12 tribes of Israel. So here's Moses at the birth of Israel. And what does he do? He builds an altar with 12 stones. Then he makes this burnt offering. So, okay, that's similar to – You get to verse 6 and it says, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins around this altar and half of the blood he throws against the altar. Now, what's interesting is what does Elijah do? All right, we build an altar with 12 stones, right, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He's hoping that God is the one who brings the burnt offering. He scorches this bull. And then he takes blood and he's filling it in basins, right, around the altar. So this is this is an echo of what's going on, except this time Moses, at the end of this chapter, you see Moses goes up on top of the mountain and the cloud, the glory of the Lord, covers the mountain and the chapter ends with it saying, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud went up on the mountain and Moses was on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And so p- part of this contest is an echo of their birth story, the birth of Israel. Like Elijah's coming and he does what Moses did. He's building an altar with 12 stones with a basin that's filled with liquid. Moses fills it with blood. Elijah fills it with water. Um, and then the fire comes down on the mountain. And I think when Elijah is following this pattern and this story, it's like he's trying to wake them up and say, do you not see what's going on here? I'm calling you to a new birth. I'm calling you to renew your covenant with God and to follow his commandments again, like Israel vowed back in the days of Moses that they would follow after the Lord. And so when the Lord comes down, and by the way, when he builds it with 12 stones, that's interesting because the... The north was ten tribes. The south was two tribes. It's now a divided kingdom. You know, they're, and they're at war with one another. And yet the Lord's covenant, when he comes, it's still 12 stones. This is still his people. But what you find is that when the Lord comes down, he absolutely devours those stones, um, which were reminiscent 
uh, like you said, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I think that was intended as a shot across the bow that I am not beyond judging my people. Mm. That to see those stones totally consumed with this burnt offering. Remember, Moses goes on the mountain. He goes into this appearance of a consuming fire, and yet God does not consume Moses. Why? Because Moses is a man of God. Mm. He's of faith. But fire will consume anything and everything where the Lord does not dwell. I mean, we talked about this. When Elijah goes up in a chariot of fire, why is he not consumed in that chariot of fire? Because the Lord is with them. When right. Daniel's friends are in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why are they not consumed? Because, the Lord because is with there's them. a yeah. fourth one in the fire with them. When the Lord is with you, the fire does the fire of judgment does not devour you. You are not devoured by the fires of judgment. Why? Because Christ dwells in you. And so here the fire falls and consumes the stones. Yeah. This is a godless land. And I I can't say that that's exactly what's intended there. But it's representative of the tribes, and God consumes them. Mm. So the people see this. They see this amazing thing happen. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Big moment for Elijah. Mm -hmm. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Mm Mm-hmm. And Elijah said to Ahab, and I think this is interesting, because it hadn't happened yet. This is Elijah speaking prophetically here. Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. He, that was the word. You know, Elijah mm-hmm. gave the word. There was going to be rain. And yet, it takes a minute. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> like it doesn't, because if I was creating the Hollywood version of this, Sam, what would happen? Right Just then, deluge. Exactly. Right then, the <laughs> rain would have started falling. If Elijah would say, "There's a sound of the rushing of rain," and Ahab would have gone, "Huh?" And then the rain would have come down. But that's not what happened. Ahab, it says, went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. I read several commentaries on this, and they were kind of divided as to whether Elijah was bowing in prayer. Or whether Elijah was just literally collapsing out of exhaustion. Um, mm. They really, you know, they said it could have gone either way. It doesn't really affect the the outcome of it, but it is interesting to think how much this must have taken out of him. You know, yeah, the the one commentary that I saw is when it says that he bows himself on the earth and put his face between his knees. That that word, that bowing himself, is the same word that's used as the posture. I'd have to go back and check it, but I think I'm right. It's the same word that's used when Elijah lays on the widow's son to bring him back to life. Oh, And Elisha will do later on, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of laying down on top. And one of the commentaries I was reading was saying that this is the posture that's going to bring the land that has died from the lack of rain back to life. Mm. Hmm. That's true. That's good. Um, Verse 43, and he, Elijah, said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And, you know, again, Mm -hmm. the words, the number seven, we keep rubbing into the number seven. It's the number of, it's God, the number of God, number of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. I thought that was an interesting description, like a man's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, Elijah speaking now, and he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to be a little rain. Yes. Uh, and it says, and in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Uh, again, there's there was a lot of back and forth in commentaries about what happened here, whether it was like Elijah suddenly turned into the flash, you know, and like <laughs> caught up to because Ahab's in a chariot, which is being pulled by horses. And Jezreel, Jezreel is like, what, about 25 miles from Mount Carmel, mm-hmm. as I read. So, you know, whether it is Elijah sprinted 25 miles or whether it is Elijah outran a chariot that was, had a head start and was, you know, over 25, whatever was going on here. 
the Lord gave Elijah some juice, you know, whether whether it was endurance or super speed or yeah. whatever. Or the clouds, wind, and rain really made that chariot ride or, slow yes. enough for, oh, yes. <laughs> for Elijah to, to book it. You know, a picture of Ahab going, we got to get dug out of the mud again. The prophet's <laughs> going to beat us to Jezreel. What are you guys doing here? Oh, I so. will say that on my bike, I don't even go out when it's windy. It's like if I'm if I'm if I'm riding with the wind, I can fly. Then you turn around, and I'm too big to go against the wind. I'm like a big sail. Yeah. <laughs> so we've come to the end of the chapter here, and I feel like it's you know, if this is where the story stopped, you would think this is going to be Elijah's triumphant moment. Mm-hmm. The people have mm-hmm. just said the Lord, he is God. They killed all the prophets of Baal, and maybe they killed the Asherah too, but we don't know if they were there or not. Um, just doesn't say they were killed. Um, so they, the people are like turning back to God, and Ahab did what he was told. Elijah said, go up, eat and drink. The rain is coming. And Ahab did that. Uh, and now the rain has come. And so Elijah, uh, you know, this thing of, it says that he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It was kind of common for the herald, essentially the hero of a battle or whatever, to go before the king, and and then the hero gets praised and the king gets praised. That was kind of the procession. Like if you had a great general or somebody who won the battle for you or a great champion, your great champion would go in front of the king and would be getting cheers, and then you cheer the king because you know he's there too. And it's almost like Elijah was, you know, mm-hmm. the picture here is Elijah expects. That he's going to be going into a hero's welcome in Jezreel. Totally. And he shows up and he does not get that welcome. No. Which we won't get to this week. But it's what he's expected. I'm just exhausted thinking about that. About running 25 miles or what? <laughs> well, that too. Okay. But just to to be this kind of faithful, to, to do all the things. I mean, you imagine the stretching out over three years – being out in, in a brook with ravens feeding you, then having to live on on the dime of a of a widow, you know, you're constantly being hunted. You're you're uh, you know Israel's number one most wanted guy. Just that exhaustion, but thinking, but you know what? It's for a good cause. You yep. know, God is going to move. The yep. nations is going to change, and you get done, and you have that. Like I think that the triumphant expectation that Elijah finishes chapter eighteen with makes the crash that you're going to see in 19 all the more significant. And I think we can all relate to that, where you have just these high hopes, like you finally did it. You've finally done something that's going to change, and then nobody cares. Everybody mm-hmm. shrugs, you know. It's just, man, that's that's rich. And, you know, this, this whole story is pointing our minds um, to a different mountain, you know, it's it's Christ who comes and he's he's openly despised by the people. You know, he becomes number one most wanted of the religious leaders for Pete's sake. The the people that were tasked with taking care of the temple, the people who were tasked with teaching the people about God, when God shows up in the flesh, they hate him. They hate him because he's calling them to to you know what? If Yahweh is God, follow him. And here's what he teaches. And you guys are not following it. And so he's going to be put on the mountain. And, you know, just like the contest was to see who could rain down fire on that bull that was being offered on the mountain. And you think, you know, Elijah has this triumphant moment. But the God that Elijah serves is going to take the place of that bull. He's going to be on top of the mountain. And God, the Father, is going to pour forth far for more ferocious fire. You know, it talked about how the fire licks up the water and, and licks up the stones and just devours it all. A fire far more intense than that, figuratively and spiritually speaking, is going to fall on his son mm-hmm. to devour all of our sin, to destroy the power of death, to do all of that. It's going to fall on him, even as we are saying to him, we don't want you. He refuses. He presses in. He gives everything on this mission to reclaim us for himself and to purchase us from all of these awful idols that do nothing but leave us mutilated. This is the kindness of the true God. And, you know, like Tom preached on, it's, you know, he's he's calling the question here. Like, who will you serve? Like, are you serving lesser things that are better than him? 
that love you more than a God who would give his life on Calvary for you, the one who promises to pay every bit of your redemption, who comes to you and loves you with such extreme devotion to you, and yet each and every one of us chase after these stupid, petty gods that leave us mutilated and empty. And here's God saying, who will you serve this day? Mm-hmm. Which is more precious? Are you going to chase after those things? Or are you going to come to me, the one who was consumed in a sense for your sake on Calvary? Mm-hmm. I, get, I have life. I have redemption. I have the power of resurrection in my hand. Come to me. I give it freely. That is a good word, and why don't we let that stand as our last word? Because uh, that I think that's the thing that we need to keep in mind from this story, folks. We hope that you have enjoyed your time with us; that it's been profitable for you. Um, we do invite you to correspond with us. We'd like to hear from people. Uh, if you if there's something that uh, you've enjoyed about the podcast, or you've got some comment or question you want to make, you can send us an email. The email address is out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R I O Vista church.com, which is also where you can find all the back episodes of Out of Water at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, or on Spotify, and also in our handy free Rio Vista Church smartphone apps. If you go to the app store of your choice and just search for Rio Vista Community Church, you can find it there and you can keep up with not just not only the podcast, but also all of our Sunday messages and all of the other activities around the church. So we will be back next week, Sam and I, with more in Desiring the Kingdom and the Aftermath of this triumphant moment where we get to see what happens next. And we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.